0: This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Listen, docs, one of the first steps we took to pay off our student loan debt was realizing we paid way too much for our disability insurance. That all changed when we found Set for Life Insurance. They helped us with a customized insurance policy that met our needs and most of all, budget. To learn more, check out setforlifeinsurance.com. All right, y'all. We are back with the second session of what's up with them journals. This is the one that you definitely want to listen to. Listen, on episode 180, we went in on the Journal of Vascular Surgeries article where they were talking about professionalism, social media, and it got that hashtag or the quote of Bikini. Definitely encourage y'all to listen to that one. I told y'all to get your popcorn ready for that one. This one, you want to get your drinks ready for this one because this one we going in hard on this one. And look, we're doctors, right? Or we're training to be doctors. We talk unfiltered. We give it to you straight, raw. There's going to be fire on this one. I encourage you to listen to this one and also share this with other people. These are the conversations that we need to be having. I'm going to leave this intro short so we can get right into it. Let's get it, guys. So the next one, I can see Dr. Stell's face right now. Oh, you, can see the veins. you can see the veins <laughs> popping up. <laughs> So this one is a little bit more complex, right? And the reason I'm saying that is it's not really a study. It's more of a white paper. And Dr. Amber can clarify what a white paper is to us. But this next one is called Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity. Evolution of Race and Ethnicity Considerations for the Cardiology Workforce in the United States of America from 1969 to 2019. This was an author from UPMC, I'm not going to put his name out there, but it was published in March 24th, 2020 in the Journal of American Heart Association. Like I said before, it was a white paper. And the key points basically is it starts with a review of affirmative action, basically in five phases. The earliest phase starts in 1969. And then the last phase is basically what's going on presently in the United States. And it uses statistics. It uses some anecdotal information. It uses also some non-peer-reviewed Articles to basically talk about the diversity, inclusion, and equity initiatives and how, for the most part, they've failed. Right. He also states that he believes there is a quote unquote demonization of Asians and they are the most negatively affected by racial and ethnic balancing. And one of the quotes from here says, long-term academic solutions and excellence should not be sacrificed for short-term demographic optics. Ultimately, all who aspire to a profession in medicine and cardiology must be assessed as individuals on the basis of their personal merits, not their racial and ethnic identities.
1: So having more black and brown people is optics only. That's
0: the summary of this article. The last thing you also said too, that's really interesting because I actually have to, <laughs> you have to admit, like he kind of like systematically went through. In a just,
1: ridiculous give, biased way. Go. Right, let me, go ahead. He, let's he go. systematically
0: <laughs> kind of went through each argument. Kind of he knew what people were going to say. He's kind of playing mm-hmm. chess with this. Says that, like, there's no there's no, no there. empirical evidence that underrepresented minorities have improved quality metrics of care with patients of the same background. Right. Because, you know, that whole thing of, well, diverse doctors kind of know what diverse patients need and all those different things. And obviously this caused a Twitter storm, right? This, I mean, it's actually still going on right now. It's just been retracted. The journal just put out a statement basically just saying that they became aware of the serious concerns of this publication. They've noticed, well, the editor-in-chief says that the article may contain many misconceptions, misquotes, and some of these inaccuracies, misstatements, and selective misreading of source materials stripped the paper of its scientific validity. Hmm. It also says that soon they're going to be publishing a detailed rebuttal. I think Quinn Capers might be involved in that, possibly. He yeah, better be. He will be. Will be. Um, <laughs> I cannot
2: wait. Quinn was mad. <laughs> when <laughs> when was... I was here for it. Yeah, like, oh,
0: yeah. I wonder I how many push-ups he did after that. <laughs> the editor-in-chief deeply regrets publishing the article and offers oh. his apologies. Uh, oh. The American Heart Association and the editor-in-chief have determined that the best interests of the public and the research community Will be served by issuing this notice of retraction. The author of this white paper does not agree with the retraction. Okay. Mm. So I'm going to throw it up to y'all and I'll uh, mm. take it from there.
1: Yes. What did we say about this article? Oh, I got a lot. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I know. So
2: I will start with a paper of my own. So there was a paper that was published, Increasing Diversity in Health Professions, a Look at Best Practices and Admissions by Gabriel Garcia, Catherine Nation, and Neil Parker. And I think that they did an amazing job of going through a lot of these. I think what you had talked about before, when we were speaking before about how this person was playing chess and almost like nitpicks the data in order to support the information that they want. But what I want to highlight, I'm going to read an exact quote from this paper, because I think it highlights the nuance. And I don't even want to call it nuance. I think this is just blatant about where a lot of our efforts in medicine, in education in the United States, et cetera. It stems from our underlying segregation, Jim Crow, and again, the institutional practices that led to the underrepresentation of minority groups here in the U.S. And there is something I actually agree with him on. Maybe we look at it from a different vantage point. I'll get to that next. But from here, the subtitle, Historical Ramifications of Segregation. So for the first two-thirds of the 20th century, U.S. medical schools were de facto segregated. The Flexner Report of 1910, which shaped medical education in the subsequent century, encouraged the support of medical education at the historically Black colleges and universities to provide a physician workforce that would serve Black Americans. Yet its recommendations resulted in a closure of five of the seven majority medical schools that trained African-American physicians. As recently as 1964, 93% of all medical students in the United States were men, and 97% were non-Hispanic white. Of the remaining 3%, all but few were enrolled in the nation's then two predominantly Black medical schools, Howard University in Washington, D.C., and Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. At the time, less than 0.2% of all medical students were Mexican-American, Puerto Rican, American Indian, or Alaskan Native. Prevailing societal values and practices within the profession were reflected in restricted opportunities for minority medical school graduates to participate in specialty training, medical society membership, hospital staff membership, and other professional activities. You can go through that paper and it highlights everything that Mm -hmm. this paper talked about, but actually provided the historical context about why these things existed in the first place. And that is my main issue with this, is that it creates this perception. The same way we have the conversations around Candace Owens and all her people talking about how black on black crime and how 80 percent of the crimes that are that are you can take numbers and skew them in whatever way without putting them in context. And that if you look at the actual numbers of people who are here in the United States, and how many crimes are actually committed? When you break down the numbers and do a true statistical analysis, you will see that Black people do 0.012% of the murders in the United States and white people do 0.012. It's a, like a tenth of a percentage point difference, right? But people don't do that. They don't actually take into the entire context. They just want to nitpick and then perpetuate their narrow view or their narrow scope of the issue to help support their own bias. And I think that's exactly what happened here. And it's a common argument that is used whenever people are trying to negate the real underlying issue of institutional racism and segregation that led to the lack of diversity in the medical profession that we see now.
0: It's like he's talking like this stuff is in a vacuum, right? Yes. Yes, It actually happens in a vacuum. So I'm sorry. No, it's fine.
1: He doesn't acknowledge, he uses the cases of University of Maryland. He referenced that a couple of times with regard to their citation of kind of worsening, I guess, student outcomes, right? As far as their success, their abilities after they've matriculated in the school. Because of course he references throughout the article that it's lesser qualified applicants that are- And not lesser
2: qualified education that's actually been provided to those people in the first place. Thank you very much. Or,
1: Or lesser supportive environments and the fact that you may be that one or two black person in a school where you feel completely- you know, marginalized, and there's absolutely no support, there's no mentoring, and probably no understanding of where you're coming from as far as your cultural needs. And let's not even
2: get into the fact that we even have here at my institution that has been continually addressed the fact that there is subjective grading within the third and fourth year schools, and that Mm -hmm. minority students, predominantly African Americans, were continually scored lower than their white counterparts. But we don't want to address the fact that there is continual bias within the educational system in the first place. So even when we get into these... So
0: this this was an actual study, or like they found this
2: actual data that was found within our institution here.
0: Yeah, I mean we and do know the third or fourth year is very subjective. Yeah. Again.
2: Yeah, I don't think your institution would be unique
3: in that. I mean, the issue is that we're trying to say that there's an objective way to measure candidacy for becoming a physician. But there's so much subjectivity in all of it. I mean, even a standardized test, there's gonna be some bias there. Your ability to prepare for a standardized test is highly contingent upon your socioeconomic status. You know, if you can afford the test prep courses, if you had a private school education, those sorts of things will set you up for success or for failure. But I mean, if all you're going to do is try and look at what we're calling
1: these objective measures, then you're going to miss the whole point. Which he did. And that's really all he referenced. The conversation about the MCAT was laughable.
2: And I don't think it's subjective. It's not relative to this one individual, or this one author. These are the arguments that are used by any and every person who argues against any sort of institutional change in order to address the fact that there is a lack of racial diversity within any institute of higher education, both undergraduate and graduate medical education. Right. And because this is the recurring theme, right, like this is the party line. Right. And this is almost like you're talking about the Republican Party. There's a party line. This is what they all argue as their underlying reason why we shouldn't be perpetuating or actually addressing lack of diversity is because, well, these people, the minority groups, aren't deserving of it in the first place because they weren't smart enough to be there. We don't ever go back and look at who are all the white students who are poor performing. We don't ever go back and actually compare them. Everyone is always compared to, if you look at even on his demographic, white is just considered the reference. (laughs) <laughs> right. They are always the reference and everybody else is compared to them. And we never actually look at or do a breakdown of the white students that come in and where their score is compared to those who are not white.
0: Dr. Amber, to me, this came off more of like an opinion paper or an opinion piece more so than a white paper. But can you break it down for us? What exactly is a white paper?
3: So there are different types of publications that can come out of a journal, And again, this is where the editorial board and the whole governing body decides what types of stuff they're going to have, what types of articles they're going to have in their journal. And there are scientific papers, there are editorials, there are opinion pieces, viewpoints, so on and so forth. But of the research articles, they are supposed to be based on scientific evidence, empiric data, different statistical analyses that you yourself are performing during your study, during your research. There are also review articles that compile all of the data that are available and should be done in an objective way. So, a white paper is supposed to be sort of a standard that the article is espousing, that the author is espousing to say, this is how we feel as scientists. You know, these are the data and this is how we should move forward in this field. So, to give a paper the white paper nomenclature, we as a society should be able to say, okay, this is the standard and this is what we're going to do from here. This white paper, based on a, all of the data available, found that you know such and such is the truth, right? Such and such is the case. And so this is what we're going to do moving forward in the future. This is how we're going to proceed based off of the findings of, as portrayed
0: in this white paper. Oh, so that's based off of that, the way how you explain it. It's actually a pretty far-reaching Article or paper. Right. Actually, and
3: guess. so, giving anything the white paper title is the journal saying, the society saying, this is how we feel about it, is giving credence to it. And it's saying, it's giving it authority, right? Like, this is what we feel. This is the truth of the matter. That's what it's saying.
0: Mm. To the part of, there's no metrics that show that quality is improved or there's even good quality for patients who are the same race or the same ethnicity as your physician. This is what, you know, he was saying in the article, you know, I did actually find an article. This one is from... Uh, yeah. Well,
3: so anybody could find articles, right? Like they're not hard to find. Trust me, the data are not hard to find. And so what should happen for a white paper, like I said, you're looking at pros and cons, you're compiling all of this stuff and You're saying, you know, the net of what I found is such and such. By weighing all of these different viewpoints, this is the consensus that we would come up with. That should be the ideal. The fact that all you have to do is just like Google something and you can find differing viewpoints says a lot.
0: Okay, so the white paper basically is saying that this is representative of the journal's views for an extent on whatever this topic may be. The complexity of this topic. This is what our right. solution is. This is what how we view it. This is how we think. You know, any type of solution on the part of addressing this issue should be. That's how you saying. Basically,
3: yeah, pretty much, yep.
0: Okay, because I know Dr. Talo, a uh, Dr. Talo, he has. I think it's in Oakland or. And uh, uh, Northern California, he has the work that he's doing in barbershops where he's trying to help demystify some of the uh, preconceived notions that, you know, people in barbershops or people who don't necessarily go to hospitals or have a distrust of the medical system have. And he's trying to dispel that. So I know that in terms of quality, I know he talks about communication. I know communication is very important when you see someone who looks just like you, explain that it may be okay to go and use the hospital or a clinic in your local area. You know, this is, just comes back to what I was talking about with Chess. You know, like he kind of goes around the communication issue and just talks about, well, overall equality or the mortality is not affected. And I just thought that was really interesting.
2: What's interesting to me, in it, especially in hearing Amber's description about what a white paper is, that it made it past the editorial board. Thank you. Got published. Again. And now they're issuing a retraction or an apology. It's like, well, somebody in your institution at a very senior leadership level did agree Mm -hmm. and did find this as a valuable piece of information that should be highlighted as a critical piece of information that speaks to
1: the underlying way in which your journal- (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm so disturbed by all of this. Very conversation we were having about the last last article about professionalism and about Mm -hmm. having trust in our profession, are we supposed to trust these journals? Are we supposed to trust these editorial boards yeah. that allow this sort of madness to get published as a white paper? Mm-hmm. I mean, this will get referenced. I mean, from a policy standpoint, as much as he was quoting ridiculous Supreme Court decisions, mm-hmm. which, by the way, we could have a whole nother conversation mm-hmm. about the fact that even reference separate but equal disgusts me. But the fact that basically, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to trust? All we are trained to do is look to the literature. Mm -hmm. In fact, our entire field is supposed to be turning more towards an evidence-based approach to Mm -hmm. care. If this is the evidence that this particular editorial board is promoting, what about the ones that we haven't called out yet? What about the years of references that we're using. I mean, we can take it all the way to me. We were talking on our other podcast, the fact that we have racial bias in even our laboratory values, our measurements. I mean, the decades of ridiculous bias that's within our field is Mm -hmm. only even being more elucidated by the fact that this made it through an editorial board. And then I remember my point now. He's quoting the Supreme Court. Trust me, the Supreme Court is going to turn around and quote this article. I mean, well, not anymore because it's retracted. They look towards actually policy. This is posed as a policy. Okay. Congress, somebody ridiculous in Congress who's anti-affirmative action is going to turn around and quote yep. this article. Yep. Are you yep. serious?
0: Yeah. Explain mm-hmm. this to us because this is the part that we don't know much about. So you, you have the law. So, as
1: biased as he was, as one-sided as he was in this article, that's often and without really any repercussions, that's often how it's done in policy-making circles. They choose support that supports their ultimate outcome that they're trying to achieve. And they're going to reference this article and articles like this because it was published. And 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 by a a Mm well-respected, it's going to look good. They're going to take a single line. I mean, think about the bias that you see in a newspaper, a news report. Mm -hmm. We may give an awfully wonderful, dynamic response, but they take one line, they take two lines. They take your piece that makes their title of good, what looks good even on a graphic. It's not the whole picture. That's what happens in policy making circles as well, too. So thankfully, this one was retracted. It was still printed. It's still available. You can download it today. Just because it says retracted across it doesn't mean someone won't reference this. American Heart Association states specifically that affirmative action has absolutely no outcomes for patients, yada, yada, yada. Yep, that yep. The damage has been done. The damage is already done. They already put yeah. their stamp and seal of approval on it when they it doesn't matter say. if
2: attractions is a hmm no mm-hmm. Yep. You can't say that slavery didn't exist just because you came back and apologized for it later. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: serious. some say because we had our first African American president. <laughs> oh
2: my God. We <laughs> live in a, a post racial society. That erases my everything. All
0: right. So, yeah, <laughs> some you know, say, you know. Yeah. some say that stuff. So, And
2: I think this is where the conversations going to get hard, y'all. I apologize, but yeah, never, it must okay. be said. The Asian identity and identity politics and the fact that a lot of the Supreme Court cases that were yeah. brought forward was brought forward by the organizing group who mm-hmm. brought forward the case around affirmative action. I think this was the most recent one that was coming out of Harvard when they were mm-hmm. looking at Harvard admission policies and that one went to the Supreme Court as well. And it is this pitting minority or people of color against people of color, right? Mm-hmm. And using that tactic so that there is not a common unification of us to actually fight for it in advance for equal rights for everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And it is this very individualistic approach to say that, you know, where well, you guys aren't as good as us. So we deserve more, a bigger piece of the pie than you all, instead of the pie is cut wrong anyway. Like, yeah, it's like a zero sum right game. Like,
0: right. If one person wins, then the other loses. And we're talking about a very small piece of the pie, right? Like even
2: when you look at the pie chart in his own yeah. dang article, you'll yeah. see white people take up this much. Yeah. Right. Really right. this and the pie. fact
3: that all of us are just clamoring for the crumbs, you know, That's like wrong. right. Like what are we no really sort trying of to argument gain
1: about the fact that we should have larger question about how medical education is actually exactly the first place, how admissions so, are provided in the first place. It's more so these Blacks are less qualified.
3: Taking our spot. Yeah, like here they go again, trying to take a spot of somebody who is more deserving. Exactly. Well,
0: well, let me ask you a question because I want to play devil's advocate for a little bit because I think there's some people who are listening now and they're like, well, you know, when they hear or when they read this article, you can see it in Twitter. They're like, where's the lie, right? And seriously, like to educate people about these things, you know, we know that affirmative action is not perfect, right? But what situation or solution really is perfect, right? We don't live in a perfect society, right? So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is give us your reasons why you still support this. If there are people who are listening and they're just like, you know, I know that there's this cloud of questions about me being at this institution or what have you. Like, what are the thoughts? What do I say in these type of situations? Right. I mean, it's going to be there even if there was an affirmative action also. Right. But like, so that's why I say I like d- it doesn't occur in a vacuum. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on that standpoint.
3: Like before we get to the thoughts on like, what's the counterpoint? I just want to acknowledge the fact that there are going to be people who have read this, who see the Twitter backlash, who see all of the rhetoric, who are currently applying for medical school or in medical school, Mm -hmm. who are questioning their worth. Right. Like if you had imposter syndrome before, like this is only going to make it that much worse. And so I just want to acknowledge the fact that I feel that every day, you know, like I'm sure everybody on this panel feels that like it's a pervasive problem that when you live in a society that is a racial hierarchy, you're going to feel like you don't belong. You're going to question your worth and why you're doing the work that you're doing for people who are in institutions that are predominantly white. You may be thinking like, why am I here? You know, like, and part of the reason why I do the work that I do is because I want to serve as a positive role model for the people who may be coming behind me. I want to be that person who's there that like the community can look to and say, well, at least Dr. Amber is doing her thing over there. It creates a lot of pressure for me as an individual, for any one person as an individual who's living that life, whose life is impacted by these types of things. But, you know, I just don't want the conversation to not at least include that acknowledgement that this work is hard and these types of things. It's insulting to us as individuals, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to go away, even with a retraction. like these things are not going to go away, unfortunately.
1: Amber, thank you for saying that, because I think... I even dropped a message like that on another IG live earlier this week that was really just kind of speaking to issues like this that are coming across mid Twitter. And trust me, pre-med Twitter is watching. Right. right? They yeah. all follow that. And I didn't want pre meds to feel like, oh, why am I even trying to enter this racist sort right. of industry? Why would I even attempt? And my message at least earlier this week was, this is the very reason why we need you, right? This is the very discussion that you need to become a part of, we need you. So please don't feel in any way less motivated to keep moving forward. So I'm really glad you said that. Again, acknowledgement or a lack of acknowledgement, really the fallacy of the history of medical admissions, right, mm-hmm. is that he thinks that all of these objective measures are the right ones, right? So, so in my mind, if we've been doing this well for the many decades, the hundreds of years that we've been training physicians in this country, if we were doing it the right way, there wouldn't be disparities. <laughs> if we were doing it the right way, we wouldn't even need to worry about diverse workforce. So why would you continue to perpetuate these ridiculous objective measures that speak absolutely nothing about your ability to be a physician? The MCAT does not in any sort of way speak to your ability, quality that was what you were bringing up. The quality outcomes are in no way reflected about your scores on MCAT. It's not even your board certification does that either. I mean We are questioning a lot of these objective measures, these requirements for application processes in the first place. And then, of course, he completely neglects the fact that even if we accept some of these students, we don't support them. Retention is not even considered in this conversation. I think he's supporting a system that is failing not only the physicians in it, but the patients that we're serving. So in and of itself, he can go ahead and advocate that maybe agents need to have higher numbers as well, but again, in a system that's not serving them appropriately either.
2: And this is where I agree with him, but I feel like we have a different nuanced approach is that when you look at the breakdown of different Asian as a category is disrespectful, right? Because it includes a huge swath. And if you look at it, especially the way which is defined from the US census, that in itself is politically driven. And problematic, right? Nobody and it even has a problem with that.
1: You even said, how dare you separate the Asians, basically.
2: <laughs> Which is, when you separate, that's when you actually get to the underlying that's issue when about the- when you see the underrepresentation of a lot of the Southeast Asian groups who are Southeast. traditionally discriminated within their own Asian community, right? Like, we have discrimination within minority pockets or communities of color in and of itself, okay. and that isn't even addressed, right? Because we want to try and have our associates we want our approximation of whiteness. Everybody wants to be associated with whiteness because that equals power. So if your demographic can be associated with whiteness and does give you access to more power, then that's exactly what you're trying to preserve. And the problem is that people aren't recognizing that they're perpetuating these systems and these powers because they want to be associated with whiteness. And that is all of these arguments are leading to. And I completely agree with you because the problem that we have about assuming that all of these measures and these objective or the ways in which medical institutions are accepting people or educating people is right. And we have to recognize the same way we talk about in society is that these things are operating the way in which they were intended and created okay. to operate. Yep. They were only intended and created to educate white men. Yes, men. Women came yep. later. White women, women came later. women yep. in there. Yep. We never had like All the other minority groups. We were all secondhand. We were never, ever considered in the creation of any of the systems that are in place right now. And so then to then take that system that was only created for white men and to now say that it should apply to everybody else and everybody else should be able to measure up and reach this standard. It was intentionally created to not only admit them, but support them, ensure that they can rise up in leadership.
1: How many times did he say there's not a large enough pool of us? Oh, I mean, my I God. I can't even... I, <laughs> I'm having problems breathing. This is so ridiculous. There's, there's not, there's, there's not a large enough pool of
3: us. A large enough qualified pool. Qualified.
1: Okay.
0: Yes. But I actually am happy that we have Twitter now and we have social media and quote unquote the democratization of you know your voice, right? And imagine if this came out, you know, ten years ago or came out mm-hmm. twenty years ago. Yeah. This would literally just go you know, without any question whatsoever. Going back
1: to our first article, the ones we referenced, urology and general surgery, those were published back in 2017. And I forget when the general surgery was. None of this conversation, right? So I am really grateful that we have modes like not only this podcast, but like our current political climate, our current national conversation that's ongoing, because we were able to call out this article. And Quinn was able to, you know, get on Twitter and mm-hmm. you know his phenomenal tweet. Honestly, this is being dealt with. You know, I think <laughs> it's, there was something very definitive about that. right?
2: <laughs> like I have arrived. It is. Like, I'm
1: on this. But, I, mean, I agree. Thankfully, we in healthcare are using the very unprofessional social media or whatever <laughs> they were trying to claim in the last article to actually have this response. It's about. Honestly, though, taking the conversation outside of social media, getting more than a retraction, getting acknowledgement from these institutions, again, that these processes are not acceptable because they are indeed the unprofessional ones. They are the ones Mm -hmm. that are undermining the trust in our field.
0: Speaking of uh, of Quinn Capers, he put out his tweet said, one, editor-in-chief has apologized, two, apology is good, but not enough. Three diversity does improve care and save lives. Four, Asians need to speak up against anti-black racism. Five, blacks need to speak out against anti-Asian racism. <sighs> and six, more to come, period. Stay tuned. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Period. I can't,
0: wait. <laughs> I can't wait to read his response.
1: Yeah.
3: But to Need's point earlier, though, like the need for a rebuttal, right? Like to mm-hmm. say that even if it's retracted, to say that we need a point-by-point response. We need a rebuttal to what's being said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In some ways, giving credence to what's being said, right? Like you're saying, okay, so that's an interesting point. Tell Mm -hmm. me why it's wrong, Mm -hmm. right? Like give me the evidence as to why it's wrong. So as strongly as we feel about it, it's incumbent upon somebody to actually write a response, to write the counterpoints, to give the evidence and contrary to what's been said. All right.
2: And as you say, people can Google it and find whatever evidence they want, whether it's founded or unfounded, and they'll continue to believe what they want to believe. And I think that's the underlying issue is that it's going to always be down to who do you believe in the end, right? And unfortunately, our society and the United States, the belief system is structured inherently and dependent upon white supremacy. And so the default, the reference point is always going to be white, Right, man. Exactly. And that's what we are fighting hard to move away from. And people are resisting because that is what our entire foundation has been built upon. That's like getting rid of the reference labs when we're up there looking at labs and we say, oh, is the sodium low or high? Like what's the reference range? Right. Like right. that is what we are measured against at all times. So how do you get rid of that measurement? Mm-hmm. That's my question. That's really where you get to the root cause. That's the solution. How do you get rid of that measurement? Because we can't get rid of them from society. They're not going to give up their power willingly. So how do you get rid of that measurement?
0: Well, this turned out to be a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So (laughs) I'm not sure if I'm going to make this the inaugural episode or maybe the second or third episode of what y'all are going to be doing in the future. Because I think that, you know, this is needed, obviously. Your perspectives are very strong and very valid. And I think we should continue this further. So do y'all have any parting shots at all? Any takes that y'all want to say? The floor is yours if you guys want to say anything. If not, we'll just end it from there. I'm good. good. i, I <laughs> <laughs> will start stuttering soon. No, 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 I think the way how y'all ended it though, each of your points, you know, kind of just covers it all and stuff. So just wanted to give you all an opportunity if you wanted to say something, but I think basically we've kind of covered everything mm. and I'm really looking forward to doing this again. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much. Dr. Estelle, Dr. Amber, Dr. Cameron, thank you so much for jumping on. Dr. Amber, keep up the great work of what you're doing at your institution. Right. I know that there's some difficult situation, but keep doing great work and I appreciate that take you did take on quote unquote imposter syndrome and people applying and so forth and having these folks keep their heads up knowing that, you know, there's, even though this information came out, this paper came out, they're not alone. People do believe in y'all keep up the great work and we'll go from there. So guys, it's time to wrap this up. This ends the two part series on what's up with them journals. I want to thank the three doctors for coming on and just literally spitting fire, speaking from the heart showing empathy, being extremely knowledgeable on this subject. And I just want to say that this is definitely not the last time that you will hear from these folks. We've got a lot of things planned. I'm just going to leave it at that point. Now, before we end, I want to leave you with two takeaways. One is is that these journals definitely are institutions. We look at them for the standard of care. We look for them for so many different things, but they're run by humans and humans are not infallible. Humans have emotions. Humans have biases. And as you can see by these two articles, if we don't have the knowledge, and I'm talking about us as readers or us as consumers, if we don't have the knowledge to understand how this process works, the ability to speak up, then, you know, these things will get unchecked. So it's really important that we understand how to question, how to critically read these articles and basically find out if they're BS or not. The second thing is collectively, we got to use our voices together To call out stuff. And with the way how things work with the internet, that's a lot easier to do now. Imagine if this came out 10, 20 years ago, this would have gotten unchecked or would have gone unchecked. So it's really important that we use our voices, find out how powerful our voices are together and really use them to really affect change for people who don't get a chance to speak up for themselves. It's really important for me. I hope you guys understand that and take that with you. So listen, I'm going to catch you on the next episode. Make sure you leave me a feedback or leave me a voicemail on Speakpipe. Let me know what you thought. If you liked it, if you didn't like it, I don't care if it's dope. If it's a hot take, I'll put it on a future show. All right. Catch you on the next one. Peace.